good to see you. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts and minds, as we look at these stories, to see who Jesus is and to know how to respond to him. Amen. You might remember from a few years ago, um, they're probably still running actually, I don't know, but um, Peter Kay did a whole load of John Smith's adverts. Um, and um, there's one really uh, good one uh, a few years back. Well, they were all pretty good actually. Uh, but this one, he's out for a curry with his friends and uh, the babysitter calls. So he picks up the phone uh, and, and his uh, babysitter kind of puts his daughter, Brittany, on the line. She's having nightmares. She's scared about the wardrobe monsters. And uh, as, a, as a good and kind of kind and reassuring daddy, he says, listen, listen, sweetheart, you don't need to worry about the wardrobe monsters. They're not real. You need to worry about the burglars that come in through the window. That, that's what you should really be worried about. And he says, oh, sweet dreams, sweetheart, good night, and kind of hangs up the phone. Everyone's kind of looking at him. What, what are you doing? You know, his daughter was scared of one thing, but suddenly now she's scared of altogether a completely different thing, which is far more scary. And of course, what he says is totally true, isn't it? I mean, wardrobe monsters aren't much threat to her. Perhaps burglars are. But w- w- what he gives her is a window into reality that really most parents shouldn't be giving to their children at that age and should be raising them in other ways. We've got a similar thing going on in these stories with Mark. We're getting a window into reality in these true stories. Because there's stuff that grips people with fear. And, and that fear of these things is replaced by a bigger and greater fear. So the, the things that people are scared about here are things in both the natural and the supernatural realms. Both the storms and, and the demons. And, and I guess in our time and place here today, we're maybe less likely to be gripped with fear about those things. If you think in, in the natural, uh, natural realm... Um, in, in England today, we've kind of mostly got it under control, right? Um, so when we do get a little bit of a storm, we get kind of social media things like this. Um, you know, th- this is a great earthquake of 2014, and kind of one deck chair ends up on the floor. And, uh, you know, that's as bad as it gets for us. Not particularly scary. Uh, and when it comes to the supernatural, we, uh, we kind of mock it, and, and we either ignore it or we mock it and celebrate it at events like Halloween or whatever else. But it's worth us noting that for most parts of the world today, and for most of human history, that has not been the case. The threats of the natural world have been a real reality of everyday life. Tsunamis and earthquakes and storms and hurricanes and floods and blizzards and and all of this other type of stuff. Actually, people have lived in great fear of these things, and many still do. And, and people uh, very often live in a world that is charged with meaning and fear from stuff like witch doctors and shrines and gods and goddesses and spells and spirits and lucky charms and that kind of stuff. Now, for us here today, those things, for most of us, don't really feature a massive part of our lives necessarily. But this will still connect to us in some ways because we do occasionally find ourselves under threat from the elements. We do have flooding that is quite deadly sometimes here in this country. This week we've had a BSE scare again, and we'll have to see where that goes. Many 
are fearful of the effects of global warming and other things like that. A friend of mine was at a New Age festival this weekend in London where thousands of people, literally thousands of people go, who are deeply embedded in spiritual stuff, often very dark spiritual stuff. So it does connect with us in some ways. However these things connect, Mark gives us a window into reality. And a reality where any fears that we may have in both natural things and supernatural things are replaced by a bigger and a greater fear. That is seeing who Jesus is. This is our question today. Do you fear Jesus? Do you fear him? You might be surprised that that's a question we'd ask. Surely we're not meant to fear Jesus. Isn't he just like gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Isn't he the kind of the Galilean, free-loving, hippie type? It's not very scary, is it? The nice teacher, the kind healer, the pacifist. Just a really, really nice guy. I wouldn't say boo to a goose. It's not, nothing to fear him, really. What are you talking about? Well, listen, if that's who, any of that is who we think Jesus is, then we need to see that that is very different to who Jesus is. Mark's got this account that he's written for us from these eyewitnesses, and they blow those perspectives of Jesus just out of the water. The really awesome thing, okay? This is the awesome thing. This is where we'll end up. If we get a proper sense of Jesus, if we get a proper fear of Jesus, then that actually brings a peace to us. That brings a peace that we have when we face everything else in this world. Including some of the stuff we've been thinking and praying about already this morning. A peace through knowing and fearing Jesus. So, from this first story of Jesus calming the storm, I want us to see this. Fearing Jesus gives us great calm in our natural world. It'd be really helpful if you do just look back at the story. We're going to kind of look down at it as we go through it. It's on page 1006, under that heading there, Jesus calms the storm. And, and it's late in the day, uh, towards the end of the day, and Jesus has been sat on this boat on the lake teaching people all day. And that's what we were looking at last week. And, and at the end of the day, he wants to get away. So, um, so he kind of get, gets his mates to take him out on the boat, and, and they set sail across this great lake that they're on in Israel. Five, five miles across the lake, they're sailing. And you can imagine Jesus is exhausted from teaching all day. If you've ever done any form of teaching for a short amount of time, you know it's very tiring. He's been going all day, so he's knackered. And, and so as, as the boat sails along, he's kind of lulled into a sleep. And there he is, there he is, kind of just gently going off into a nice sleep. Very human, very ordinary. He got tired. He had a rest, sleeping as others take him along. But, but we read that suddenly this, this out of nowhere, this furious squall kind of comes up on, on the lake. Literally, it, it says, storm, great wind, storm, mega wind. The howling wind and, and the waves crashing over the boat and the, the, uh, the, the boat is filling with water. And, and it, this is such a big storm and so serious that this boat is going down. I mean, if you've ever been in violent rivers, uh, in violent waters, either in a river or the sea or whatever else, you know when waters are surging and rushing how strong and powerful it is. Uh, and this lake, the Lake of Galilee, is very notorious for these storms. 
these violent and crazy storms. It's like a, a bowl um, with kind of all these mountains and hills around it. Uh, and so the, the, the winds kind of come in and, and, and storm in and literally whip up the lake into like this kind of this frenzy into this storm. And so you've got these, these expert seafaring fishermen type who kind of spend their whole lives on this lake. And, and they are properly scared. Their lives are in danger and, and they know it. And so they're worried that they're going to drown, and panic is setting in. And they're, they're paralyzed with fear. They're in this storm in the natural world, and they are just overwhelmed and, and, and right in panic. And so they're so desperate that these sailors go and wake this carpenter and like, there's a storm, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, help us. And of course, the remarkable thing that it's all been going off, and there is Jesus still getting his shut eyes, sleeping, snoring away. You can imagine just the kind of the, the water and the wind and the noise and everything going on. Jesus, it's not the time for sleeping. Do you not care that we're, get, we're, we're about to die here? Do you not care? That's the heart of our fears exposed here, I think. We're worried that God is sleeping on the job. Do you not care, God? I'm drowning here. Do you not care if we go under? Have you got us? We see the, the kind of the, uh, the secret in the story or the surprise, which maybe isn't massive surprise, is that this man with them in the boat is God himself. This is God with them in the boat. And so as he stirred to action, he instantly rebukes the wind. He tells the waves to stop. He is in charge here. And do you know what? They do. They do. Because this is nothing less than the voice of God speaking. This is the creator's voice. If we know our Bibles well, we know in the beginning of the world, the creator's voice spoke over the dark and chaotic and heaving waters. And what happens when the creator's voice spoke? There was peace. There was order, there was control, there came flourishing and fullness and abundance. Well, that same voice is reducing this great storm to a great calm. Suddenly it's like a mill pond, not a ripple on the water. See, Callum read it for us earlier. Have you heard that reading that he read in between our songs from Colossians 1? Jesus is the one in whom and through whom all things were created. He's the one, it's, uh, Callum read that everything is for him. Everything holds together in him. E even right now this is true. The waters of the storm, the, the wood of the ship, the currents of the winds, all of them in him held together, all of them for his glory. Even now, as well, the cells of my body are held together in him, by him, and for him. Even, let's say, the air turbulence as you fly, and you're really scared about what's going to happen. It's in him. It's for him. It's through him. And the Bible promises that this Jesus is very much committed to his natural world. He very much cares about it. And the promise of the Bible is one day he's going to renew and restore it. 
He's going to bring peace to his world. He's going to bring prosperity. He's going to bring the wholeness and the God-glorifying beauty that he created this world for. You see, here is the lesson, the big lesson in this miracle. I hope it's just loud and clear to us. Jesus is in charge. He is in charge of all things, of everything in this world. You may think that this uh, this miracle is just unlikely. We know, don't we, in this kind of age of science, that it's shown supernatural, uh, this kind of stuff to be supernatural nonsense. Miracles like this don't happen. This is just some simple men being confused or, or whatever else. Well, listen, science does nothing to disprove miracles. Miracles by nature are a departure from the way that things, stuff normally goes. Science studies how stuff normally goes. It does nothing to disprove miracles. Mark shows us in his eyewitness account that Jesus is the creator God who holds all things together. Jesus is the boss, even of the wind and the waves. If, if Jesus is God, there's no problem with this happening, is there? And that's what Mark's claim for us is. It's not surprising. But listen, perhaps the most crazy thing in this story is this. That once the, 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 um, the lake is back to a mill pond and is calm and still, these guys are more terrified, not less. You see that, but if you look down at the, the 41 there in Bolt, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's actually a question that doesn't need answered. It's plain as day. This is God. This is the terrifying thing. This is God with them in that boat. A few moments ago, they were absolutely bricking it with the, the storm around them, kind of working out what's going on. And now they've got this greater and this more holy fear of God with them. Who is this? They are terrified. They are terrified by this man. See, Jesus brings great calm from the great storm, which leads them to great fear. Now, this fear is not the kind of being scared type. It's a slightly different fear to the one they had in, in, in the storm. It's a fear that is an awe, a reverence, a respect, realizing you're, you're in the presence of someone who is truly great. You could say that like they're just totally staggered by this man. And in this holy moment, in this quiet, still, holy moment, Jesus is inviting his people to faith. That's the questions that he's asking in verse 40. He's inviting his people to faith, a deeper, a richer, a brighter faith. A faith that casts out the fear of stuff in the natural world. In actual fact, I think the whole purpose of this storm was for these men's faith to grow. And that is at the heart of discipleship. They thought they needed Jesus to get them out of a fix and get them out of a situation or or, or do some stuff for them. And he wanted them to trust him in the storm. In the middle of the storm, they needed eyes of faith to see who Jesus is. 
And if they get that proper vision of Jesus and his kind of all-round bossness and his all-round greatness and his all-round might and power, they would not fear the stuff that is going on in the world around them. Jesus holds it and he holds you. Fear him and trust him because he is good. That's fear in Jesus given us calm in the natural world. We've got this, this second story as well, which happened straight afterwards. And see something similar, but it's slightly different. Fear in Jesus gives us great calm in our spiritual world. Down uh, next to you, the, the, the five there on that page. They, they arrive on the other side of the lake. They finish their journey, and they're in this region called the Gerasenes. And uh, you kind of think, well, they just need a break now, don't they? <laughs> that was a pretty full-on experience to go through. Let's have a break and chill out for a few moments. Let's get a cup of tea or something. But they don't get that because everything in this scene as these, this group of Jewish men arrive on the other side of the lake is totally hostile to them. Everything is religiously unclean for these Jewish men. It's, it's not a nice place for them to be. They've landed in an area that isn't so much of a Jewish area. It's very mixed with lots of different customs and things going on. It makes it a difficult place for them to be. There's, we see in this story there's these impure spirits there. There's lots of dead bodies. There's tombs and graveyards and things like that. And for, for the Jews, that's a religiously unclean place. There's this impure business uh, around pork farming going on. So you think these Jewish guys have landed this other side of the lake and they're properly on edge, right? They're kind of like, Jesus, why are we here again? <laughs> the last few days have been a bit crazy. Why are we here? Well, Jesus isn't here for a break. Jesus is on a special ops mission into enemy territory. This is spiritual warfare. Jesus going to a place to go and raid Satan's stronghold. And as they arrive, it's basically like a scene from Dawn of the Dead. You've got this, this kind of biggest, baddest dude you can think of coming running to them out of the tombs and the graveyards. And this man, as Mark described him, he's bloodied and he's beaten and he's half naked and there's scars, horrible scars all over his body. And he's howling in this great distress. And he's clearly angry and he's a violent man and he's dangerous. The way he's described, he's barely human. He's kind of like Frankenstein's monster or something like that. And you can imagine these disciples with Jesus, just the fear flickering in their eyes. You see, this man has a storm inside his soul. This storm that is caused by these impure spirits. And so he's wailing and he's self-harming. And he emphasizes that night and day he roams these graveyards in which he lives. And he lives there alone in his inescapable suffering. It's a horrible, horrible existence. And the locals around are scared to death of him. You can imagine you would be, wouldn't you? And so they've tried to tame him like a ferocious animal. They've, they've chained him up and they've tied him down. And, but every time he can break the chains, hand and foot, he tears the, the, the metal bars apart, breaks the irons. No one is strong enough to sub, subdue him. No one can bind him. And so people are scared. They're fearful. Listen. 
demonization is real. And it is terrible. And it is beyond our power to cope. There are spiritual realities that are unseen to our eyes and all too often are ignored by us. You see, the problems of our city are not just the crime and the drugs and the human trafficking and the family breakdown and the lack of education and the poverty and the racism and the sexism and the abuse. And we could go on with all of these social problems. And they are problems. But the real problems are the deeper realities that give rise to these problems. The spiritualities that these things kind of grow out of and where they come from. The spiritual darkness, the oppression... The culture that has distanced itself from God. The authorities that are in power but ignore God and ignore Jesus. And, this, and Satan and his demons that are opposed to God and his people. Paul, uh, a guy who writes in the Bible, writes in Ephesians 6, two Christians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the terrible and, quite frankly, the terrifying truth is that the lost souls and the destruction that we see around us in our families, in our community, in our city, and the people we interact with, they are collateral damage of this warfare, this spiritual warfare. The rebellion of heaven and earth against God. We need to take some time just to acknowledge that this stuff is real and this stuff is true because we so often don't see it, we so often ignore it. We ought not do that. We, we ought to pray that we will see with spiritual eyes the realities around us because we ignore them to our harm. Listen, I'm not saying this is everything everywhere. I'm not trying to overstate the case here. But it is there. And I think we rarely see that it's there. There may be, there may be some people in this church who have experienced this type of thing or, or think they have some insight into these types of things. And if that is you, I just would love you to come and discuss it with me because it would be helpful to discuss and think about how we can understand these things, how we can respond in faith to these things, recognizing they're real. I'm sure God's gifted us with some people those kind of experiences, let's talk about that. Listen, let's just remember, it sounds scary, doesn't it? And that sounds scary, what I've just said, maybe. We've got to remember, we need to see that we need not fear. And we see that back in this story. And that's because Jesus' power and Jesus' authority is not just over the natural world and the storm, but it's also over the spiritual realm. And, and, and when Callum read Colossians 1 to us, it told us that as well. I don't know if you heard it. But it told us that not only everything in the earth is created by, through, for, and in him, in Jesus, but also everything in the heavenly realm. The invisible, the thrones, the powers, the rulers, the authorities, all of that is in, by, through, for him. Jesus has supremacy here as well. Everything in the spiritual realm is subject to him including these demons we see here. And so this man, he lines up Jesus. He's coming straight for him as he gets off the boat. And he runs to him. And, and, and I guess that's the moment of kind of the disciples thinking, what is going to happen here? 
Of course, what happens is the man falls down on his knees in front of Jesus. And and that's loaded with a whole load of meaning, showing his, his reverence and his awe and this kind of fear before him. And he cries out from his storm-tossed soul, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. We see in this conversation that unfolds that this man is about as demonized as they come. He's oppressed by a whole legion of spirits. Legion is kind of a a unit of the Roman army. It's over 6,000 troops and and others beside horses and and other things. These well-trained soldiers who bring total control and oppression where they are. Well, this man has a legion of impure spirits. And yet they are no match for Jesus. It's clear here, isn't it, where the power, where the authority and where the control is. These spirits here, they're they're begging Jesus again and again, please don't send us away. Uh, Allow us to go go to the pigs. They have to to ask permission, like a school child has to ask permission to go to the toilet or something. You know, it's that kind of level of authority difference. And as they do, they go to the pigs and they're no match for this legion of spirits and they drive 2,000 of them down the hill and drown them in the sea. And yet what is more important for us and what Mark wants us to see is that now we have this man with this great calm in his soul. This, this peace that he now has, uh, and we read here about him sat with Jesus. Now he's dressed, and he's in his right mind, and he's sat, and he's talking. And he's at peace, and he's well. The picture could not be more different, could it, from just a few verses ago, what that man looked like and what was going on for him. You know, he's, he's so transformed by Jesus that he begs Jesus, Jesus, can I be with you? Can I, can I follow you? Clearly, he's, he's now a disciple and a follower of Jesus, and he's all in for him, and, and Jesus has so changed his life. But Jesus says, no, I've got a job for you to do. I've got to leave this place. So I'm sending you back to go and share what has happened. Go and tell the amazing things that God has done for you, he says. Go and tell people about God's mercy to you. And so this man goes to these people that, these people have so long feared him and rejected him and hated him and been scared of him. He's like, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. I'm sure he was a great witness, don't you think? I'm sure he was. What a transformation in his life. Is it could, could be that we hear this stuff, we read these stories, and, and we get to understand what they mean. And, and we do have this sense of fear, this respect for Jesus. But we're like, actually, I don't ever want to be with Jesus. I'm not... I'm not sure if I actually want to follow him. We see that in how the others responded, and they're kind of a warning to us. As the news spreads about what's, you know, people are like, you've got to see what's happened. Come and see. And, and so people come down to see what's going down, and they see the most scariest, the most violent, uh, off-the-hook guy they know, and there he is sat down, clearly just kind of in his right mind, dressed, talking with Jesus. And they hear that this guy, Jesus, has done this. Well, there's one thing that's more scary than that demonized man that's terrorized them for years. 
is someone who's powerful enough to change him in that way. Someone who can do that is really, really a badass, aren't they? And so verse 15, they were afraid. They also have a new fear that has got rid of the earlier fear. Just like the disciples on the sea, they are terrified. But, but, they plead with Jesus, get away from us. Go away from us. Their encounter with the power and the authority of Jesus does not lead them to a deeper and a greater or even a new faith in him. But instead they say, no, can't deal with that. Don't want to deal with that. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's to do with the business losses or something, but they push him away. They want nothing to do with him and they'd rather chance it in his world without him. Do you know what he does? He leaves them and he goes. You see, fear of Jesus is not supposed to make us scared. But it's actually something that ultimately deals with all of our fears and brings peace, and brings calm, brings assurance, brings confidence. Mark is showing us here who Jesus really is. That's what he's doing in this first part of his story of Jesus. And he wants us to have a fear, a respect, an awe of Jesus. Like the way you expect one boxer to have a a respect of another boxer, otherwise he's going to get knocked out. And that fear is to drive us with Jesus to faith in him. And that faith is something that will cast out all fear, the Bible tells us. One of the guys who was in the boat with Jesus and saw what happened with this demonized man is a guy called John, probably Jesus' best mate. And decades later after this happened, when John's an old man, he gets this vision of Jesus in heaven and he writes it down for us in the Bible. And, and, and as he sees this vision of Jesus, he, he, he tries to describe it as best he can, but words can't really do it justice. But he, he describes this man who is holding the stars in his hands. The stars held in his hands. And, and a sword is coming from his mouth. And his face is like the sun, and his eyes are like burning fire. And his voice is like the sound of mighty rushing waters. It's it's picture language, okay, to kind of show us he's big and mighty and powerful and strong and and have some awe and some respect. This is the risen and the reigning Jesus. This is the Jesus above all powers and authorities, the glorious, holy, perfect, wise, strong Jesus. You know what? If you saw Jesus today, this is what you would see. This is what he would look like. This is who he is. And John tells us as he, as he kind of writes down this vision for us. It's kind of this briefest glimpse of the likeness of the reflection of this Jesus in his godlike glory. It's kind of like it's been reflected many times because John just couldn't actually manage the fullness of actually seeing Jesus as he is. And yet even that, as John sees him, he is terrified. And he says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's an entirely appropriate response. 
But in that vision, Jesus repeats to John what he says to his disciples here. He comes to him and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he gives John this job to do. Just like he gave that demonized man a job to do. Just like he gives us a job to do. You see, having encountered this great and mighty Jesus, maybe even this morning just having seen him in a slightly richer or deeper way, just how great and mighty he is. Maybe having hearts of fear and respect and awe before him. We're not to push him away, but we're to come to him in faith. And then we're to go without fear in this world. We're to tell how much he has done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are great and mighty and powerful. Barely being able to see, I've barely been able to convey just how awesome you are. Lord, I pray by the work of your spirit, you'll show our hearts. Even if we don't get a vision, even if we don't get to see you physically today, would our hearts see by faith and know how great you are? Would other fear just be burned away by that? And please, would you draw us in faith to you, not turning away from you? In faith that causes us to go and say how great you are to those around us. I pray that in your name. Amen. Um,